I'm Tim Burrows. Late last year, Unmade hit the road. We invited our members to join us for Compass, a night of reflections and projections on the year just gone and the year to come. Our partner for Compass was Circuit by Cash Rewards. Here's what went down when we came to Grace Darling Hotel in Melbourne. Let me tell you about our brilliant panel. Starting next to me is Jason Tonelli, CEO of Zenith Australia and chairman of the Audited Media Association of Australia. Jason's been with Publicis for the last decade and before that did a big stint with what's now Dentsu, but I think at the time must have been part of the Mitchell's empire. I'm Agents, Mitchell's, yep. Yes, it's um, agency brands seem to change faster than any other sort of brand. Next to Jason is Melody Townsend. Uh, Melody is our marketer on the panel. She's GM of retail marketing for Bank of Queensland Group. Um, and um, she's been in the world of banking since uh, 2015, including with MeBank. Um, as I was chatting to Melody before we kicked off, she's, she's one of those multidisciplinarian marketer who's been in various verticals. Before that, she was head of marketing for Australia Post's Parcel and Express Service, and before that, in automotive marketing at BMW Group. Next to Melody is Ben. Ben Shepherd is Chief Investment Officer at Dentsu. Now, I was thinking back to the first time that I met Ben face-to-face, which was when he won Blog of the Year at Mumbrella's very first Reader's Choice Awards back in 2009, which I, I think had a smaller audience than this, actually. And a mariachi was, band. And a mariachi band. Yes, we did have a mariachi band. That is true, actually. <laughs> now, um, in the years uh, since then, Ben has managed to continue to be one of the most interesting and um, opinionated writers on all things media. Um, uh, you'll currently find him writing his signal newsletter on linkedin and if you're not signed up then you really should be next to ben is hannah hannah nichols is head thinker on creative media at thinkabell now hannah came up via social media strategy before crossing into media agencies at omd she's also worked in in-house roles at coles and meta before joining thinkabell two years ago And then at the other end of the panel for me is Russell Howcroft, who gets out of bed earlier than any of us. Mm -hmm. He's a co-host, along with Ross Stevenson, on 3AW's Breakfast Show. Last week, they were once again Australia's top-rating radio talk show, with an astonishing cumulative audience of more than half a million. You might also know Rusty from Gruen, running Channel 10, or starting the CMO practice at PwC, amongst many other achievements on a very big career in advertising and media. So let's get straight to the questions. And um, the place I wanted to start, which was a sort of relatively kind of, I, I suppose, late edition, was um, I was recently on a, just a couple of weeks back on a trip to the UK and sort of found myself at a kind of sort of, um, you know, like a dinner party with about 10 or a dozen people who all worked in the industry in some way. And I remember just having that slight out-of-body experience about halfway through where I just suddenly thought, This is such an interesting conversation, and it's the sort of thing you don't often hear on stage events. So I kind of thought, well, why is that? Why why aren't we having this sort of honest conversation? So we're going to start right there, and we're not going to play tennis all night, but I am going to start on the left-hand side of the panel for this question, work our way along for the first one. So, Jason, first question to you, and I'll ask all of the panel to build up on it. What is the conversation about this industry that usually only takes place behind closed doors? Thanks. And I get to go first. That's awesome. Um, I think there's a few. I think there are a few on that. Um, There are a few. I might start with one or two and then we can pass on. I think one of the big ones is going to be measurement over the next little bit. We've obviously seen Foxtel come out and say um, off with their head to current measurement framework. So we're going to have to rethink that. So that's going to be interesting. That's definitely a conversation. And I had one before I came here today about what's that measurement framework look like? How do we now keep everyone in the same ecosystem? How do we give our clients kind of answers to the questions on how do we now measure everything? So that's how do we audit it? So I'm wearing two hats tonight, but how do we make sure it's audited? And let's drill into that one as one topic to start off with then. Um, And we'll get to our other panels because it it did feel like it was, um, and Ben, I've seen you nodding, so I'm going to come to you next on this measuring question. Um, It felt to me like it was a little bit of a bomb going off when Foxtel made that announcement on the night of their upfronts that 
they were kind of helping start this, you know, what I think you could label as a breakaway currency. Your okay, thoughts? Mate. Yes. Shit. Okay, sorry. That was Jason. Um, uh, look, I think with the Foxtel announcement, um, I've got a sort of bad, bad metaphor for this, but I think we say Voz, speaking candidly, um, the standard that they held that to was so high that it took too long. And the sort of li- the way I liken it is that if you went to a restaurant, you asked for a meal, and they refused to bring it out till it was at such a high level, but you were sitting there for five hours, you're kind of hungry, you really needed to eat. I think Voz was sort of like that. It, it, it came out at a relatively high level, but it took too long. And by that time, people had gone down to 7-Eleven and tried to buy some stuff to fill them up for the time being and then realised that a moderate level was probably sufficient. So I think the floodgates, as sort of Jason said, have opened because you've now got a video amp, you've got a whole bunch of ACR providers. I think they all will all sort of coalesce, coexist. Um, so it's a really interesting time. But I, I don't think it's a... I think if it becomes sort of not so partisan, I think it will be okay. But it's a... Yeah, it's a... It's a I think it's a positive. I think that whole sort of dynamic needs to be sort of broken a bit. And Melody, I think you looked enthusiastic when Jason mentioned that point as well. What are you thinking about measurement? Yeah, um, measurement's been a huge topic for us. Uh, obviously, we work with Matt and the team at MutantX um, around our market mix modelling to help inform how best we plan our media dollars, which channels to which audiences to grow both short and We might nudge you a bit closer to the microphone closer. as well if we can. I might just... Or we can bring shimmy, the microphone to you. Yeah. <laughs> or not. It's like a game of Jane. Yeah, right. There's also a glass of water on the floor nearby as well. It's very clever. I feel like we should be musicians tonight. Um, so, look, measurement has been um, a huge focus. The thing I would say, the, the part two to this that's going on behind our closed doors is marketing, advertising, it's very much the art and the science. And in a really challenging year like this year has been, there's been a huge swing towards the science and where's the art, where's the creativity, is there enough of it? And that's been a big conversation we're having. Hannah, where, where, where is the art? I mean, that's a, a difficult question to answer, right? But I think it is. As soon as things get a little bit more difficult, we really go back to rational and so we should, but you can't have rational unless you've got, we talk about magic, so unless you've got the magic, unless you've got the art. And art can be measured and it should be measured, but I think it needs the free space from that as well. So coming from the art first down into measurement rather than starting from measurement first, because that's where we get that focus on short term and we get really focused on those really rational things which are important, but they're singular and you need to look at things more holistically. That's probably a very rational answer to art. <laughs> well, let's, um, Russell, let's bring you in. Obviously, you, you, you now live and breathe by the GFK numbers, but back in the day, mm-hmm. you were living and breathing at 8.58 a.m. when the Ulstam numbers came yes, in. Yes, indeed. Um, uh, all this change happening in measurement. Your, your reaction to what's happening in television? Well, I haven't really got a good reaction there for you, Tim. I, don't, I, I genuinely don't know enough about it. Um, I do think, though, that... Uh, so the conversation that I'm having behind closed doors, which you know, which perhaps isn't public, is that I think that anything over seven seconds is an indulgence. Increasingly, it's an indulgence, maybe. And I, I, I think it's very, very, very hard to indulge an advertiser and indulge, you know, the the making of advertising beyond that. I really, genuinely think that that's a truism and a and a conversation which isn't really, you know, in the industry. Um, I was involved recently in a presentation of work, uh, and it was very typical in that the 60, the 60 was presented, followed by a 30, followed by a 15-second cut-down. And I'm going, you know what? I think what I would do next time is I, pre- I would present a seven-second first, and second and third, and then maybe indulge myself beyond that. So in a way, reverse, do it in reverse order. Um, and that's for obvious reasons. You've got to be more efficient. Um, I think there's something very interesting as well about Thinking, if I can keep going, thinking yeah, that please do. There's something very interesting about getting advertising back to actually what it's supposed to do. So when you've got a brief, I think the right way to approach it is as if it was a classified ad. So in the old in the old terms, I I have a classified ad that is one paragraph long, and I'm going to write that ad to sell something. Start there. Um, and I think anything beyond that, you've got to justify spending the money. I, I'm, I'm sort of getting a bit 
hard call there, but I do believe that's true. Well, let me bounce back to our media people. Um, Seven second ads, (laughs) Ben, are you sold? Um, I am sold. I I think the there's a there's a quantum between um, the the, you know actually being able to deliver a seven second ad and actually having a good good seven second ad. But I think I mean we've spoken about this a hundred times, Russ. Um, The if you can maximise. RNF, and you can do it in a way that, that communicates the message, then you are always going to preference that. Um, I think there is probably a challenge to, I think, win hearts and minds on seven. Yeah. So it's a muscle that's got to be built, it's got yeah. to be sort of grown, and that's going to take time. But I, I think from somebody who deals with it all the time, um, we're seeing improvements. You know, this sort of concept would have been sort of just brushed off yes. sort of 10 years ago, whereas right. now there's m- more openness to it. Jason, then Melody, I'm going to ask you the same question. So Ben's yeah. point that if you have enough reach and frequency, you can go for it with, uh, with well, seven a second. First on Russell's point, I think it was Mark Twain that said, "If you, I didn't have enough time to write you a long, short story, so I wrote you a long one, right? Yeah. Yeah. So it's a lot easier to go long. It's a lot easier to write a 45-second ad than it is a seven because you've got to pack so much in. And But I would agree. And to Ben's point, I think we're used to it now as consumers. If you just think about consumers, look at the rise of things like TikTok. All right, we are used to now going through content faster and looking for something to grab me or I move really quick. And seven seconds is a long time if you think about TikTok. Right? It's like it is an eternity. It's a full ad break in TikTok world. Right? And that's where consumers are. So I think it's very doable. I love the classified ad um, analogy. Look at search. Like there is more money going into search than ever before. So everything that Russell's saying is true and we're doing it. Reach and frequency is important. It's the right reach, right? Because there's a lot of waste out there now. And I was having a conversation earlier today and it was, there was that old adage of 50% of my advertising is wasted. I just don't know which one. I question now if it's still 50, if that's gone up. And I would say it's probably gone up. Yeah, go on, Hannah. On on the point around seven seconds, we're still thinking about things quite singularly. So we talk a lot about um, modular storytelling or stacking message. So it's not like for like 30 seconds, but is it three, seven seconds? Like how do you tell brand stories in short ways? It's never going to be one asset for one asset. So I think there's also that. It's thinking about storytelling a little bit differently and not thinking about things singularly, thinking about how do you stack things, how do you tell brand stories across multiple touch points that come together as a whole as well. Can I ask a question of that? So let, let, me, it, let me just bring I want to bring Melody oh, in no, and then I, I will come to you. I was just going to say, but sometimes something comes along yeah. that grabs your attention. Right. And the thing in September that got my attention, it was the Rural Road Safety Month. I mean, what an amazing topic. But honestly, Andrew Dado spoke to camera for one minute and 44 seconds, telling a story about his three kids, teaching them to drive, the dangers of a car in rural you know, long stretches of um, of rural roads. And I, I don't even have kids and I was so into this topic and this conversation he was having. So I, I think there's a time and a place for, for sure. it. Yeah. For sure. Jason, you had a clarifying question. Yeah, around the stacking, oh. right? Do we think it's stacking, i.e. just kind of spacing out 30 seconds over time? Or do we think it's actually seven seconds or a arbitrary number because I know it's not actually seven, um, that is targeted better because it's more relevant to the right people. I think my point of view is it's telling a story in multiple ways. So it could be targeted, it could be mass, but you want to take a story or an idea or an inkling and communicate it in a lot of different articulations. Mm -hmm. So it's not necessarily a cut down or it's not necessarily a stacking of a... um, iterative message it's how do I take an idea and how do I express it in a lot of different ways and short ways and long ways and yeah Russell I I just entered the conundrum that the great difficulty that everyone's facing is how do I get how do I get mass impact let's just call it that I I think it's incredibly difficult if we go to um the voice you know a fortnight out from the voice 50 percent of the population didn't really know it was happening so that is a failure of marketing it's a it's not a failure of the messaging because messaging is 
Um, you issue a press release, you do the TV show, you're interviewed on radio. So it's not really that. It's a failure of the marketing because that's how you get everyone knowing something's going on. So it, for all of us here, that's surprising, but literally that is the, that is the quantum. So I haven't got the answer other than recognising that it is incredibly difficult to get mass reach and mass impact and get mass movement. I don't know how you do it, actually, right? Maybe the, I'm sure the panel here would help me understand how to do it these days. Hey, look, that's a, it feels hard to just let the bench and the voice go past without at least raising the question. I'm looking at it through the communications perspective. What went wrong? We treated it like a campaign, I think. It's not a campaign, and it... it it's obviously tricky because it was probably set up politically as a campaign, but that is how our industry in particular treated it. We created some beautiful film, we talked about it, but we were in a bubble, and that to me was where we went wrong. It's not a campaign, but we treated it like it was a creative challenge. Yeah. There's lots, there's lots right? Yeah. There's lots of reasons why, it, there is a lot of reasons why it didn't work. Um, the, the, the first reason, of course, is we need to remind ourselves it's much easier to sell no. It's way easier. Um, and let's call it a factor of seven is required, which I've sort of invented, but not really. You know? You're on sevens tonight. Yeah. You're on right. the sevens. Factor of seven. You're in the casino later. There's only right. one number you need to put it on. I, just, I, I think it's just, you know, I, there's probably a paper somewhere where, you know, if, if – if a negative thing is said about an individual, you need seven positive things in order to get a bit of a balance. It's just way easier to sell no. That was always the great difficulty that um, that yes faced. It's just unfortunately, it's the way we're wired. But I think too, just quickly, I think Australians wanted more information, more than the yes campaign was prepared to provide. That's definitely true. Yeah, yeah. And Jason, I I remember you and I had coffee. Months and months ago, at the point in which the, the referendum date hadn't been announced, but you already had some tracking information. And I remember you were the very, you were the first person I heard saying, the data is suggesting to me this is going to go no. And I remember being really surprised. Um, but what, what were you seeing at that point that maybe the rest of us weren't? So um, we launched an audience tracker. I was getting, I am still sick and tired of antiquated data. So we've got our own tracker now. And it's really sizable. And so when I started to look at, we wanted to ask random questions. And one of them was, let's, let's track the voice and see which one is it's going to go. When we had our podcast chat, I said 60-40 on the podcast. I think that was May, June. Um, and that was pretty bang on, a couple of points out. And it was funny, the week, oh, three days out from voice, we tracked every state and territory. And we were within a percentage point of the result. To your question on why it didn't work and things like that, it's all opinion. If you look, there's a few things. One is bringing, and Russell made this point, bringing a referendum to pass is almost impossible. I believe there's only been nine ever in our constitutional history that have ever been passed, none by a Labor government. So it was you know, the odds, the history is stacked against you. Interestingly, this was a discussion back in the 70s around The Voice, and it was a 60-40 back then. It was a discussion. They did a poll. 60-40 was the result, same as what we got here. So the dial hasn't moved in you know, 50 years, and that kind of is a bit scary for us. Marketing had a lot to do with it. it all our data suggested that people didn't believe the press. They didn't believe the rhetoric out in market, and so they believed the circle of friends they had around them. And because there wasn't enough education around what you were voting yes for, right, it was really hard to swing this nation. Hey, look, I was, I was conscious of how I asked the questions were asked being in a bubble. The way I asked the question, what went wrong? Some people might have obviously said it was well, right, right, but well, no. I'm mean, interested. Yeah, <laughs> the majority, in fact. Yeah, I'm interested that nobody challenged me asking the question that way. Ben? I think that regardless of where you sit on the issue, I think where it's gone um, absolutely wrong is if you had a thought 12 months ago that this would have happened, it would have been really surprising because you would have said for the majority of people, this doesn't impact them. So they should. there's a whole bunch of people that it does impact and they, they deserve a voice, right? It's a pretty simple concept. 
Um, what the no lobby managed to do was say, if you don't understand it, that's perfectly fine. Just vote no. Don't worry about it. You don't even need to engage in this thing. Um, and then they sort of planted a second seed of doubt, which was could impact you. You, you don't know. You don't even know what it is. Um, so, so I think that happened and then it gradually turned people. I think the Yes campaign treated it like a Christmas ad. They sort of did the John Farnham thing. It, it did nothing and it was... Now, I hate saying this because it, it sounds sort of defeatist, but it was the worst indulgences of the ad industry for weeks on end expressed, converting people that have already made their mind up. And if you sit in briefs, you know, like we do all the time, it's a really tempting to go after the, the buyer who's already there. It's really difficult to go after the person who's not buying. And so I think the yes lobby just went out there and said, he voting yes, well done, well done, well done. Um, no lobby sort of moved the people. But I think what's now going to happen if you look at, say, um, marriage equality, um, most of us voted, you know, or the plebiscite, most people voted yes because they said, well, again, it doesn't impact me. I think if you ran that plebiscite now, I don't think that vote would happen. I think that you could twist that no campaign and use the same optics and the same tactics and say, oh, it doesn't impact you now, but what if, what if, what if? And I think we're all poorer for the result, I think, in, in multiple ways, but I think you're going to see that. Just, just, I think just for us all to reflect on when it comes to comm strategy, Tim, because it's just there was a, another line, that, there was an additional line that the no campaign at the end, if you believe in equality, vote no. That is, whoever thought of that, in a, I'm just talking pure advertising, that is a very clever advertising line because it gave one an ethical, moral reason to tick the no box. It, it was... It was very, very, very powerful. And what's so interesting about that is because of its simplicity, um, you can impact, you can, in an, again, in an advertising sense, you can impact en masse very quickly because of the cleverness of that line. Well, let's, uh, let's roll on. I promised to start at one end of the panel and... This is one question in, so this is uh, it's going to be an interesting uh, but lengthy night, I think. Um, Melody, um, what conversation isn't usually happening on stage that should be? Well, um, like many scenarios uh, tonight, I am the banker amongst us. Um, so I'm always conscious of how I answer questions like this. I think... Everyone that, gets to play their part, yeah. joke to card once yeah. tonight. I, I think um, for, for us right now, the, the really big um, issue affecting banking, because that is, you know, ultimately the industry I'm sitting in within, you know, obviously then in the marketing function, is risk and compliance the amount of fraud and scams happening across this country right now is just out of control. The amount of customers calling us, telling us terrible, terrible stories about what's happened to them, their loved ones, um, is something that's just unprecedented. And the big conversation is how do we get out the right comms to help more Australians and a very diverse multicultural group of Australians understand scams and frauds better. And I suppose how do you balance that risk level um as well i something of a self-indulgence i um i attempted to buy three months worth of cat food yesterday and um found my credit card blocked um so spent um the best part of two hours on the phone to anz trying to unblock it um and that clearly is about risk appetite that you're trying to protect the public from scam yeah yeah, um, they clearly saw it as unusual behaviour. Is it a new? Car. Is it a new uh, animal? It, it, it is. Funnily enough, it is newly. It will be newly arrived cat. So <laughs> I haven't had until now a big cat food habit. So perhaps it's just good algorithms. But 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 equally, how do you balance that annoyance of customers yeah. as well when you're trying to be, you know to help them not accidentally yeah. get money to the scam? Yeah, that's right, and that is not easy. We're putting friction into the process. We're asking them to call us to wait on a call centre line um, for us to unblock a card, uh, and there's no easy way around that. If we let it go through, then we have a very different issue. So. Um, it's one we continue to work on. And just yeah. out of curiosity, does anyone on the panel think that when consumers hear the words, we know that your time is important, we'll answer <laughs> it quickly, does, does anyone think that consumers actually believe that? There's a massive opportunity, isn't there, Tim? For I mean, I, and this is sort of a pretty wild thought, but there's a, there's a massive opportunity for businesses like banks, but not just banks, insurance everyone really to want less data 
they they have to they have to say I actually just need your name and maybe your phone number. I do not need anything else. Um, and they need to strip away the opportunity for people's private information to be to be hacked, um, accessed. And the only way that can happen is if you don't have it in the first place. The reason why they've got it is because the government shat themselves after 2001 and insisted that more more data had to be um, you know obtained because they were worried about bad actors and bad players. They have to reverse this. I get really, really, really angry about it. We have to, we have to first and foremost um, have have our privacy considered to be ultimately the most important thing that we carry that we carry one of the most important things that we carry, um, and I don't think that's coming through at all um, by corporate Australia or the government. Um, Europe, they're doing a pretty good job. In America, they're losing their mind about it as well. I think it's just outrageous, really. I really do that. Um, as I say, bad actors can just find out about people's, you know, health, their life, their livelihood, and there is nowhere near enough being done about it. Ben, moving on, um, what conversation is happening behind closed doors that doesn't usually make it to open doors? Um. I think there's probably two points I'd like to make here. I was talking to someone the other day and we were sort of bemoaning the level of discourse at events generally. Um, I think they're not... If I think back, showing my age, Tim, but I think back to that sort of mariachi band era, Tim Burrows' umbrella. <laughs> um, you, you could have more sharper conversations. I think now the conversations have no no edge, no elbow, uh, which I think is a great shame, right? So that, that then the industry events become a bit sort of boring. I think things like this are an exception. Um, but but on the whole, the biggest thing I think is an issue, which is somewhat related to that, is the the, the consolidation of investment into two businesses is something that is never discussed, and it's because every event like this is sponsored by one of the two businesses. Um, but I think if I'm an advertiser, and over the last ten years I've gone from a sort of relatively healthy mix into fifty to sixty percent of my dollars dependent on two two platforms that have got their most likely thumb on the scale a little bit on bids. Um, that's horrible in terms of um, my own control. So that's a conversation that I know happens behind closed doors, um, but it generally doesn't come out of the closed doors um, and there's no there's no sign that will stop, right? So there's no, there's no sign when the industry is going backwards at 8 and 10% and we're all in, you know, Struggle Street and they're up by 22. So the, the um, ACCC is showing some interest, but do you think they're going to get there? I just think they're, they're, um, they're trying, but it's, it's manifested in things like news bargaining code and, and I don't know if they really – you can solve news bargaining code by solving, you know, foreign tax probably better than making – People pay bounties to the local media companies. but So, yeah, so I think that's one that um, I think for agencies, for advertisers, it's a profound issue, right, and, and it's not, not discussed. Yeah, let me you, – you were nodding at that one, yeah. Russ, the, the, the Google-Facebook effect. What yeah. do you think? Well, I just think Ben's right, you know, and, and they, they, bid it, they bid the numbers up. Um, It's okay. So the other side of that coin is it is very good at matching buyers and sellers. So I can I, obviously the attraction to it for an advertiser is clear. It's just very unfortunate that the effect that that therefore has on, and this is I suppose me coming from a media side. There clearly is a it has an effect on having a thriving media industry, thriving media companies, and we need in our society to have thriving media companies. Um, and so every dollar that leaves media company X and goes into a into a you know multinational digital platform is a problem because that that does mean less people are employed it means less journalists and it's very interesting now when you I, you know I read the papers every morning now for a living it's incredible how much of the paper's content is actually driven um, out of Twitter it's incredible the the it, it's almost I couldn't put a percentage on it but quite high of you know as seen on Twitter that is then in the newspaper. Well, it's, it's the same. I mean, if you think about um, most, a lot of commercial radio um, programming is driven by TikTok. Yes. 
because that that is where where songs break. You know, so songs would break twenty years ago, twenty five years ago in nightclubs and various other things. Now TikTok can make or break songs. And if you look at that top twenty and you use TikTok regularly, you'll sort of be like, oh shit, I didn't know, I didn't know. So it is interesting to sort of see, um, to not tail wagging the dog, but a bit of a change. Just one thing, just to, to avoid any. Um, uh, misattribution here is is I'm a big fan of those two businesses, but I just think that they've been given such a long leash um, that they just now exist in a completely different world to the rest of hey, us. Look, the, the argument is that the most, I suppose, the biggest compliment you can give someone is to regulate them more because it means they've been yeah. successful. Um, or break them up. Or break them up, yeah, right. again. And, right. you know, there's there's often for shareholders they do quite well out of breakups. Yeah. Um, yeah. Melody... Could you possibly do your job as a marketer and not spend dollars with either Alphabet or Meta? Wow. Uh, we are heavily invested in both, yeah. But in saying that, the, the conversation I had with one of them last week was you're playing at the bottom of the funnel. Um, what are you going to do to show us that you can take on a bigger role across you know, a broader funnel? So if we think about kind of awareness consideration and conversion show us that you can do more you know what what else can you do for us because otherwise why wouldn't we talk to all these smaller players that are nipping at your heels and really interested in you know getting a bit so of that at the, dollar at the big brand end which is a good That's moment right. to bring in hannah what, yeah. what 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 do you think when it comes to the the brand side of things you know is there more that those big players can do there i think it's actually maybe a little bit more on marketers because, yes, because they're just getting the message out there. It comes back to our first conversation around more about the creative and the asset. I think us, especially in Australia, are probably lagging at being able to do that really well and knowing how to tell stories really well. So, I mean, their ad platforms, their bidding platforms, they can kind of do it all. They're built to do it all. They're very smart machines that can do it all. So I actually think it's more around media agency strategy, um, creative teams being able to do it really well and often we are a market that still leads TV first and so I think that's often where the tension is because if you give the platform budget and you tell it what to do, it's going to do it. That's how they make so much money. They do, they do have to um, be regulated like a media company. I mean, ultimately, ultimately their revenue line is advertising, so just like any old media company, and yet they're not regulated like media companies are. Yeah? So they can pretty much say whatever they want to say and they don't have to, they're not accountable to anyone. Right? And and I also think advertisers need to think that through. They need to think through, okay, what's, what am I sponsoring here? I'm sponsoring a platform which is pretty good at distributing stuff which isn't true. Right? You can't do that. If you're advertising on a radio station or if you're advertising in, a, <laughs> on a t, in, in press or TV, um, those platforms are... They, they are heavily regulated about what it is that they say. And uh, again, speaking about conversations that don't necessarily happen, I think that's an important one. Um, they're not regulated as if they are a media company, that both of those. They are media companies. Jason, I feel like I have to get your take on. Do you... This, I thought you were going to miss me too. Uh, no, I don't think I can let you, you, you get away with that question too easily because it, it, it does feel that if there is an imbalance when it comes to the power imbalance, do you feel like you're in an equal relationship when you're negotiating with those um, organisations? I think it's more equal today than it has been in a long time, to answer your question. I think there's been a rise of more competitors in that space, so... If you think about in the social space, there's several players that we can speak to now. If you think about search and you look at just what's happened over the last 24 hours with Microsoft's acquisition, well, acquisition's a big word, but kind of takeover of key staff at OpenAI, you start to think of well, what Bing's future looks like in search and it's growing every day. Yeah. So the competitors are not just nipping at their heels, they're there. When you're talking about 16, 20% share, like they deserve budgets. So... I think, to answer your question, negotiation power has never been better, right? It's around the results you deliver. And at the end of the day, the briefs dictate that. Hannah, what conversations are happening privately that should be happening publicly? I'll take a bit of a different tact. I think there's lots of conversations around culture, how brands infiltrate culture, 
and also workplace culture. And they all connect somehow. I just haven't quite worked that out. Um, but it's one of those things that I think we've lost a bit of a grip on. How do brands actually infiltrate or use culture? Is it being reactive? Is it having a brand that is really um, solidly anchored in a cultural truth? And I think that's something that we're grappling with a lot as agencies and as businesses. And I think we talk, we do talk a lot about culture, but I don't think we're having the right conversations about culture. Um, not, we're not talking about DNI. We're not talking about actual cultural moments. We talk about trends. So we're down the bottom rather than actually up the top. And I think that's a big miss. And we saw it in the Matildas. There, you, where were all the sponsors, right? And that was actually a big cultural moment that so many brands missed. So, we definitely talk about it, but I don't think we're talking about it openly in the right way. Um, yeah, that's really interesting. Is the industry less good than it used to be at either predicting where culture's going or leading culture? It might connect back to the conversation around the media channels because I we probably are still grappling with how we grab onto culture when it's really ephemeral and moves so quickly. It should, in theory, be easier to predict, but I don't know that it actually is. So we probably are not as good at it. And we're probably a bit scared of it. Like, it takes a lot of bravery to be like, right, this is how we anchor. This is where we show up. This is how we talk about culture. And it feels like brands don't quite know what to do with it. And I'm generalizing here. There are brands that are really, really good at it. Um, and I think agencies as well, we often get into the weeds of things and we try and push up from culture rather than coming down at it. Russ, I remember watching on the ABC, probably about, you can tell me, but I'm, it feels to me like about 18 months ago, you did a documentary on Mojo. Yeah. And um, come on, Aussie, come on. Yeah. And how that... And other classics. Re- and other classics. But the thing was, but, but, but what that did was that redefined yeah. cricket. Yeah. And took Australia in a different direction. It, it definitely did. Does advertising still do that? No, no, it doesn't. Uh, and, I, and I think those of us that um, were around in that era, it's, it's hard to not be nostalgic about it. This sort of goes back to where I was at the start. I think we've got to go back to recognising what advertising is actually for, like classified ad. You know, I, I, want to, I, I want to buy something. There it is. I can buy it. I think that's ultimately what it is. It went through a beautiful, beautiful period from let's say in Australian context, 1956 to let's maybe 96, maybe a bit longer than that, a beautiful period where uh, time length, uh, you had the time, you had three channels, you had to get off your couch in order to use, in order to change the channel, so you were there watching the advertising. Um, you had clients that were prepared to spend the money on the production and on the time length. It is, it is really interesting for me and hopefully for people. The first ad I ever worked on was the 1987 production for a 1988 launch of the VN Holden Commodore. And the production, with Annie, and the production budget was $1.2 million to make a commercial in 1987. And the Seoul Olympics, I'm pretty certain they paid $5.56 million to sponsor the Olympics. Now, that'd be a big number now, right? Doubled that now? Yeah. So it's very... It's just, I just think it's an era, right? There's, there was a period of time where advertising did play that role. Uh, and I just, it's just very, very, very tough for it to do it now. Yeah, it's kind of interesting, right? Media doubled and production's probably half. Yeah. Oh, half. Yeah, right. Right. Yeah, to yeah. do the Olympic it's a job. Tenth. Right? It'd be a tenth. Yeah. yeah. A, you know, but again, I don't mind that. Sorry, Ben. I, I, I don't mind that. It, you know, I, I think that. Client X has got, has got $100. It's the, it's, that, it's the client's responsibility, your client, sorry, it's the service provider's responsibility to get as much of that as they possibly can in the media. That is, that is the fundamental responsibility. It's something I've learned. Tim, if I, I would not have said that 10 years ago. No way. But now I do believe that that's true. I think Russell too. I mean, I send Russell lots of messages like most days, right? But generally, <laughs> I send. <laughs> it's probably another panel. Um, but I, I do send him um, a lot of ads, and I think what the ads I always send you, Russell, is sort of late nineties, early two thousands, late uh, early nineties type ads. Um, one because they're sort of seared into memory, and I think if you look at award-winning advertising, especially film advertising, and you showed it to a random group, they probably wouldn't have seen it. 
That's right. Whereas then you would get ads doing 70, 80% OnePlus. They actually sort of burned into your fabric. So if you think about advertising's ability to influence culture, there's plenty of good ads, plenty of good film. It's just really poorly distributed. Just a quick one on that and then I'll be quiet. I, I, yesterday, for research for here, for tonight, I just I went through Can the list of Can winners from most recently out of Australia, and I, well, not one of them triggered a memory. So that's that's how many of them were ads? Oh, there's you know there's the you know social stunt and all this sort of yeah. stuff, which I get I get why people have to do it, but it was nothing nothing sort of big and impactful that was burnt into my memory. That that's all. Yeah, Melody, I'd love to get your perspective because, you know, think about it. We still have our shared cultural moments, you know, the the Matildas coming through. You know, we were all defined by whether we were watching the game or not. Um, so, so we can still have those moments. Why, why do marketers not get their hand on those moments in the same way anymore? I mean, I think... When I when I reflect on the last few years, I think we've been playing it very safe. And JT and I had this conversation, it was a few weeks ago when he said to me, we were talking about this year that's been, and it was kind of like, we've done good stuff. We've hit our numbers. It's been good. But there was nothing remarkable. There was nothing really stand out. And I think it is in an environment where margins are under pressure, competition is fierce, everything is moving at such pace. Um, you've got to be so invested early to get those conversations happening in an organization to get things approved and over the line and then into planning and into execution. And by the time you get all that done, the Matildas have kicked the last goal and the game's done. So it's, um, it, it's really challenging. Yeah. Well, let's, um, let's keep rolling. And then the idea is that we both look back and look forward. So let's do a little bit of looking forward. Um, Predictions for next year, trends, themes, what should we be looking out for? Russell, I'll come to you first on this one. Uh, so, Tim, I did warn you. I've got a big one. I don't uh, know what it is, but yeah, Russell's yeah. very, very happy with it. So, <laughs> not that I'm building so, up. But... Given, given a lot of what we've already discussed, I think I'd start a direct marketing company in an, in an old-fashioned sense, like physical direct marketing. I think that the time's right for it. Um and I would not be surprised at all if someone starts using DM as a way to build their business. Good prediction. It's on the record. Let's come back to that one in a year or two. <laughs> um, let's work our way along this time, Hannah. What, um, what, what's one of your forecasts for the coming months? I think more experience. So... When we talk about value, there's obviously value of the media dollar and all of that kind of stuff. But I think when you think about it from a consumer perspective, it's more about what value are people getting from brands. And I think a lot of that comes down to experience. And so that can be brand experience in terms of um, a call center, or it can be how you actually show up physically with your brand in the world, more in-depth experiences, more time spent with brands. I think media is more and more competitive and harder and harder to use and use really well and actually cut through. So I think brands will start to move towards, I mean, it's not direct marketing, but it is physical. So more of those physical experiences. Maybe that's the trend. It's a physical trend. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I agree. Thanks. (laughs) Good one. Thank you. Ben, let's have a forecast or a prediction from you, please. Uh, I guess this is something I think should be done is you think about brand versus performance. I like to, again, I stole this off Russ. Sorry, sorry Russ. A, a brand is ultimately a energy source for future cash flows, right? And um, a lot of the demand fulfillment activity that we are just talking about, Google, Meta, et cetera, is um, a, a, sl- a, a reduction of friction in current cash flows generally doesn't bring you incrementality. I think if you look at 23, you've got most brands and the performance of marketing in general as a driver of revenue growth is low, right? So we we did a study of 27 ASX businesses and looked at their three-year marketing spend, looked at their three-year revenue CAGR compared to the ASX 200, which again was an idea Russell gave you at PwC. Um, Sorry? I was translating compound annual growth yeah, rate. Yeah, c- compound annual growth rate. And what we found was these uh, leading advertisers in Australia were growing at 4% CAGR and the ASX 200 was growing at 6% CAGR and the ABS for, for moderate businesses was growing at the same thing. So these businesses that are sort of the masters of marketing were growing below the sort of baseline 
Um, and then if you correlate it against uh, TSR, uh, total shareholder returns, as well as uh, net profit after tax, there's just no correlation, right? So, so my, my view is, it's not saying that advertising is being spent incorrectly. I just think that there are, there's a lot of headroom for brands to grow, but there needs to be really strong brand-driven activity. So I'm optimistic that we all collectively have a job to do to drive that. Um, and think about, okay, it's it's good to um, yield revenue in-year, which we're all generally rewarded on, but what about growing, um, you know, the, the the fuel that sort of takes the next two, three years? That That's what I, I think we're going to collectively have to look at. And realistically, will that happen in the middle of what I think economists would say is already a per capita recession? I think now, I think Melody touched on Australia's very conservative market. My view is if you're not going to do that, you, you may not have a job at the end of the year. So I think doing that two years ago, you may not have a job if it didn't work. I think, I think you, have, you have to go for it. So my view is in a, in a, in a really uncomfortable economy, you are forced to, to, to do things that make you significantly uncomfortable. So, so I, I think it's a perfect time. Melody, you look like you agree with that point. Yeah, I do. Um, I think my point is somewhere between the customer experience, customer centricity, and then the brand and performance, how we manage that. And I would say um, the year ahead, it's been better in fewer channels because we look at a lot of media plans where we are so fragmented across so many channels and we can't afford to be in that many channels and do a good job and provide a great experience. So how do we get tighter around that? Okay. Um, and stick with Melody. It's your turn to uh, give oh, us a, oh, uh, uh, a, a prediction for the coming year, please. Um, well, perhaps in that vein, I think it's going to be around uh, exactly what I've, I've just said, that, so the, the channel mix, but then also if we just go internally for a moment, uh, so, so perhaps a little less on customer and a little bit more working in an organisation, um, the need to know where every dollar is going, um, how that money is being spent, what it's generating both today and then over the longer term with the market mix modelling at play. Oh, sorry, I think I already it's saw fundamental. A big smile come on Matt's face, it, Matt from uh, face it, when you said that. In this environment where budgets are not increasing, they're actually going backwards when you factor in inflation um, and the cost of media, it's just getting really challenging. So I think it's going to be around knowing your numbers and being able to provide a really tight narrative to Exco and executive committees around why we're investing where we are. Does anyone else want to build up on that point? I think I'd agree that the being better at less is, is the definition of strategy, right? So, uh, and I think if you look at many media plans or competitive, you'll get a very wide a sort of breadth of media, but then you sort of look at it and go, again, sort of showing boring one plus thinking, um, it's not that boring, but it's sort of boring for this, it is you might be getting to say 30% or 15 or 10 and you're just sort of leaving so much on the table. So you prefer to sort of max it out, right? Max it out, then go. So it's sort of eating the meal that's in front of you before going to the next meal as opposed to having like nine different meals and just pecking away at them. That's sort of a pretty shit metaphor, but it's, it's, it's one um, that, that makes some sense. So it's awesome to hear that. Jason, let's ask you for a prediction or an outlook for 2024, please. So context setting that we may all know. So Australians are acting like we're in a recession when we're technically not in one, which is actually more dangerous. Right. So recessionary behaviour is more dangerous than a technical recession because if you don't feel it, it doesn't matter what the government says. But Aussies are telling us we're in recession. So spending is going to tighten. February is going to probably be a bit of a train smash when you think about Christmas credit card in, school fees in, middle Australia house pricing might not go down, maybe another interest rate. February, March looks very interesting and potentially dangerous, which then leads to... And why February, March? That's typically when big bills come. Right, so you think about middle Australia, right? You think about Christmas card, uh, Christmas credit card arrives in late Jan, you've got to pay that in Feb. School fees come, you've got to pay that in Feb, March. So these things start to compound, right, what we're living through, and that's when the RBA meets for the first time. So those three things might start to play out in consumer confidence. When you play that into marketing, there is a, there's some optimism, but it's very cautious. 
it is, yes, it's bottom-up planning, but it is also very much so short, short budgets, which is starting to drive some of the media behaviour out there in the moment. Russell, you're famously an optimist on this yeah. stuff. Give, a, yeah. give us a reason well, for Well, okay, so reason to be cheerful. Um, the Prime Minister and the Treasurer over Christmas reboot and come out with a growth narrative. Um, they haven't had one and they need one. And um, Albo's clearly tired. So I think that's, I mean, we can sort of take the piss because he's been on a plane a lot, but he's just tired, right? He's been working very hard at doing what he's got to do, be the PM. But there's, there isn't any, there's no ideas about growth. Um, so Chalmers wrote a 10,000 word essay this time last year over Christmas. And that essay, I don't, I think I'm right when I say didn't mention com- competition policy once. So the notion, the notion that growth, competition, energy into the market, energy in for citizens is really, really important. So I'm hoping, I'm hoping that over summer, they uh, a rest, then b come out of the uh, out of the gates with a really strong growth nar- narrative that gets consumers moving. Because uh, I think we absolutely desperately need it. We are in a per capita recession right now, right? So yeah, the economy is growing, but it's only because of the immigration. What five hundred thousand, six hundred thousand people have come into Australia this year. Um, so if you actually get your economic growth divided by the amount of people, we're in, in decline. So there's a lot of, lot, of, lot of work to do. But I do think – I'm repeating myself now. I'm sorry, Tim. But big picture growth story is really important. Hannah, you – I think we're agreeing with Jason's previous point because he's sort of nodding along just on that consumer confidence side of things. Well, how should communications people – think about how they talk to those audiences in this environment? I mean, I think not not leaning into it too much. So internally, yes, we need to, but also people don't need more. And I think that's one of, been one of the things this year. There's been a lot of noise and that's exhausting. Like we know what we're in. We know what's going on. We all have bills. We all have to do groceries. So I think there's a big role for comms and brands to play to help lift that. And when we think about the growth narrative and kind of some of that positive conversation, there's a lot that can be done there. Um, And I think also from comms, we often think owned first. So for agencies in particular, it's us being really aware of what brands are going through and not pushing for more media spend, more this, more that. Like, how do we actually use what we've got and use it really, really well? And I think that's going to be a big thing, especially for agencies next year. So, yeah, I think more empathy for what brands are going through and then brands, I think, can do a lot more and have a lot of empathy for consumers. Well, I do want a chance for audience questions as well and I kind of don't want to make everyone sit here all night. And I and just before I invite that question, I'll also observe that if you say the word mutinex three times, then Henry just appears. Yeah, um, yes, there he is. <laughs> <laughs> so... Um, uh, Let's uh, let, 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 let's invite an opportunity uh, to, to have some questions for the audience. And um, uh, our partner, Cash Rewards, gets the uh, the honour of the first questioner, Sabina. And I'll then repeat the question so that uh, it appears on the podcast as well. Yeah, a good question. That question of we've all been talking about retail media this year. Um, has the conversation been as big internally as it seems to have been in the wider industry? Um, I think there's a lot of chatter about retail media. Um, having seen in previous role retail media business case development, um, I don't know if it's at the same level that the retail media business case development said it would get to. So I don't think it's sort of accelerated at the same pace. Um, I think you sort of got two ways of approaching that, right? So you can either sort of have a dedicated unit and you can sort of really like sort of double down on it being this sort of line or you can just sort of say it's another touch point for consumers um, and the retail environments have really good principles attached, you know, good amount of category buyers, uh, propensity to purchase, et cetera, et cetera. So we're probably, the business I work in at Dentsu, probably going more towards the latter um, and we're seeing clients that have uh, – a, a, a role to play in that space, sort of engaging in it. It's not like we're setting up divisions or anything like that. Um, I think the big retail media challenge um, that's really going to sort of supercharge the industry outside of just reallocating trade budgets is going to be not non-endemics. Um, and I haven't seen any evidence that that's, that's happening um, at the moment. Jason, 
Yeah. Um, so commerce is really interesting space for us. Um, what we're starting to see more of is Aussie shift to more platform-based purchasing, but we are still a D2C market. So though we've shifted to an Amazon or an eBay or something like that, we still love to buy from the brand, so brand.com. And that's really cool for Aussie brands. It's probably one of the only markets around the world that brand.com still dominates over an aggregator, which is super exciting. I think that that will change, and that's why you're seeing um, people like yourself starting to go retail media um, as well because data's great, find in-market shoppers, and it's at that pointy end. Will money move there? Yes. How much is the question mark? I think to the question is that the biggest competitor to every retail media network is Google. So shopping results on the Google top of- or Amazon? Or? I would say Google okay. has the ubiquity. Amazon's a big one, but they're already established. But if you if you type in any sort of product or jumper or shoes or whatever, all the results that are coming in, they're really retail media in that sense. They're driving you through and sort of reducing that friction. So I, I do sort of worry sometimes um, that it's all going to go again. Like we've got this potential really interesting ecosystem with cash rewards and cryptology and uh, mixing, et cetera, but I still worry that it's going to all roads will lead to the same two again. Um, that's that's my – I mean, I never say never, right, but that's probably the – Melody, how will retail media look in the banking sector, do you think? It's not, it's not something that we've been looking at. I, I think – for banking, we're building trust and we're building a 30-year relationship with a customer. So um, when they're buying their whatever it is, um, party dress for the weekend, it's probably not our channel of choice right now, whether that changes in future. yeah. Let me – Hannah, did you want to come in on that one at all? The only thing I would say is thinking about how we use retail media in a really smart, interesting and creative way. Because it's so new, we have the ability to actually probably impact how we want to use it. So rather than looking at it as just another media stream, how do you actually do it? How do you think about Shopper? How do you actually creatively show up differently in those spaces? I think there's a big opportunity now as it's developing in Australia for brands to actually have a bit of control over how they actually use it before all of a sudden um, all the retailers have a real stranglehold on it, which obviously it's in their best interest to do. Let me invite another question if anybody wants to ask anything. My colleague Sedja, that's a great question. I'll just repeat it for the tape tape as well. So the question of if we did try to bring along something like GDPR, which arguably we are trying, wouldn't advertisers just lobby against it? Well, they may well, but then that's that's the role of government. The role of government is to say... Uh, I'm sorry, that's not how we want to operate. Just re- it reminds me of um, many, many, many years ago, I went to see the uh, Minister for Health because they wanted there was a there was a push to regulate um, FMCG sort of high sugar content products, and uh, I went to see a Minister for Health, State Minister for Health actually, uh, Minister Thwaites, and I was lobbying on behalf of the industry. Like, what are you doing wanting to regulate, you know, the advertising industry? You know, you've got to be joking, mate. And he said, well, if you think that I'm going to make decisions which are good for corporates and not good for the citizens, then you've got another thing coming. So I've respected him ever since. So governments are in that position, right? They are. They are. They are in the position to write the regulation. They, they can. They can. They're in, but they, they write it and then corporates have got to adhere to it. They're, they're, in, the, they're in the position of strength. Jason, I imagine you'll have a point of view on this one. Oh, look, I think it's the same point of view, which is it's we are on the road to GDPR. Will it be stronger or not? That's for regulators to decide. Will advertisers try and lobby it? Sure. But we've got to put us as Australian citizens at the heart of this, and I think we've got to get this right. And GDPR hasn't broken the ad industry in Europe. Right? It's still thriving. It's still there. People are selling widgets, right? So I see the role of government here critical. They've learnt fast. They're pushing hard on this. And I think they'll deliver a privacy act that will make Australians safer. And that's absolutely the most critical thing we have to do here. And if we, we worry about cookies, if we worry about remarketing strategies, we're worrying about totally the wrong thing. We've got to protect our data and we've got to protect ourselves. Melody, do you think the industry needs to be helped to help itself? 
with a bit of regulation? Well, I think the industry as a collective, there are many examples even in recent weeks where we are not um, adhering to the customer's requests around privacy and those organisations have been dealt with with really strong penalties and I don't think that's helping the case when they're happening every other week, repeated examples of not respecting consumers' privacy. It, it's, it's, you know, playing towards going in this direction. Okay, I'm conscious the time is getting on, so there might be time for just maybe just one more question, one or two. Um, I have a, a hand over there. So the question there is, um, and this is a good question I think for everyone, hopefully has an answer, um, how will you decide what not to do next year? Um, Hannah, can I throw that one at you first? Gosh, a lot of things. Um, I think it is... I think it is about slowing down. So I'm thinking about this definitely from a agency client relationship and how we kind of land to our decisions and build our strategies. And so often, especially in the media space, I think we can go really automatic and run and just keep moving and do what we've done before and it worked before. So we'll do it again and again and again. So this is a very non-technical answer, but I think a lot of it is about slowing down and really evaluating and really looking at things super critically. I think that's going to be really critical for us. And same question for you, what to stop doing? Um, I think there's sort of two parts. I think you, speaking personally, I think you want to be preferencing uh, channels that have high, high daily audience, high volume, have high levels of attention, right? So they matter to people. If you took them away from them, they would feel it. I think those are the channels you generally want to be sort of associated with. So that's probably your planning input. I think it's then better measurement, better understanding of, of, of what happens and, and more nuanced than perhaps one thing. I don't think it's ever one thing. I think it's multiple things, right? So I think we have better one things than we've ever had, um, but I think there's still sort of another layer that goes ahead. But I, I, if you look at, say, media trends over the last 20 years, um, no channel falls on its ass, right? We're really slow to sort of take things off the plan. And this, it just seems it's really tough to do. Russell? Yeah. Well, I, focus is everything. So you're making me think of the Ream hot water ad for the hottest of hot, hot water you've ever yeah, seen. Yeah. Ream comes on steady, hot and strong. We can all sing it, I'm sure. Um, that's all they do. It's all they've done for 40 years. Uh, run a radio ad with a jingle. And we all know Ream and we all know that it's got the hottest of hot water you've ever seen. So it is actually simple. So the notion of... The notion of, you know, how do I how do I get more impact? How do I do it with less? You just focus in on one message, uh, maybe one media, maybe more than maybe more than one, but not too many more, and do it every single day. Beat people to death. That's 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 how, that's how you win. Too much nuance. There's way too much nuance. Way too much desire to be clever. Way too much desire to be interesting and have cultural impact. No, just be a lighthouse. Beam it out there. And say it every single day. Simple. Same question to Jason and then Melody, and I think that might be us on time then. Uh, Jason, um, first. I'll go first. So um, I've got two points. One is only because Russ said it before around Mojo, and the, so we've still got their piano in our Brisbane, in our Brisbane office. So I get to see that every time I'm up in Brazil, which is just a nice little fact. Um, but um, why fewer, bigger, better? I've seen too many media plans now that go on the science and haven't checked in with the gut. I think there's this Ted Lasso quote where he goes, um, follow your gut and on the way in, check with your heart, but he never he says use the head. And I really love that because that's the science of media, uh, sorry, the art of media. Um, we've lost a little bit of that. When you go into all the data, it will tell you to do all the channels all the time and we don't have all the money. And so I'm a big, big believer that if you do fewer channels and go big, think about how you build relationships with those potential customers. They might be customers, they might not be. Go away, walk away from all the data stuff and just believe. I think there needs to be a little bit more belief in a really good strategy, a really good insight and one or two channels that are brilliant at building relationships, and if you can do that really well, I think you'll see brands win. Melody, final word, what to yeah. focus on? 
I mean, I, I think as well, having the right people in the conversation around media, I think often you can get senior execs super excited about creative. And then when it gets to media, they're like, yeah, yeah, whatever you reckon, you know, if they're the right channels. But we should be interrogating the media the same way we do the creative. So I think that's how we'll get to fewer channels and get to the right channels too. I, I'll tell this story because I've been able to run a creative and a media agency in my career, which has been a lot of fun. And I'll never forget, um, it was a shoot. I couldn't go to the shoot. And a CEO, uh, the CEO was on the shoot at the time. And she called me and I'm like, oh, shit, what's going wrong? Right? And she's like, I just want to tell you, your team's been amazing. The shoot's going brilliantly. They're going to be the best ad ever, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm like, hang up the phone. And you know what the first thing that came to my head is? Never have I had a CEO call me and tell me how great a media plan is, right? Because they don't feel it. And that's a massive job for media agencies to do, which is make CEOs, for CMOs get it, CEOs feel how great media can be. And that's when you start to win. Very good spot to finish with. So please do um, stick around and join us for uh, for a drink and a chat. But now, though, I'd like again to please thank our event partner, partner Circuit by Cash Rewards, and our wonderful panel of Jason, Melody, Ben, Hannah, and Russell. Today's podcast was produced with the enthusiastic assistance of Abe's Audio. We'll be back with more soon. Toodle pep. Um. Podcast edit by Abe's Audio.